Welcome to the Hack the Box podcast. Today we're doing an AMA with Insider PhD. Come learn all about bug bounties, how to do them, and some interesting tips and tricks. Want to join these events live, ask your own questions, or just chat with the community? Join our Discord at discord.gg slash hackthebox, where you'll get notifications about these events and other fun stuff. Now, onto the AMA. What is going on, YouTube? This is Ipsec. Um, normally, it is Sodi, aka Roadrunner, who does these AMAs, but she had a family emergency, so you're stuck with me for the next like hour. Well, actually, not just me. We're going to have Katie, aka Insight of PhD, joining us. It's going to be an AMA all about her and her experience and journey into cybersecurity. It is an AMA format, so all these questions come sourced from Discord, Twitter, other places. And we'll be picking prizes at the end of this, along with picking extra questions once uh, we run through all the ones we want. Um, a little bit about Hack the Box. Um, if you don't know, we are an online training platform putting out a bunch of hackable machines. We also have Academy, and we just launched the um, Certified Bug Bounty Hunter course. And of course, um, you hopefully know me by now. Um, I do a lot of machine walkthroughs on YouTube and stuff like that. But this is really all about Katie. So I'm going to bring her in on the stream and we're going to start asking questions. So, hey, Katie, how is it going? Hi, everyone. Uh, it's going well. It's great to like finally meet you as someone who is a huge fan of Ipsec Rocks and who is, I'll be honest, so jealous of how well that works. And it's, it's great to finally chat with you and, of course, everyone in the chat. Um, it's nice to see you all. I saw people from Colombia, from India, yeah, around the world already. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so I know a little about you. I know you have like a YouTube channel. Um, you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name is Katie. Um, I'm a lecturer of cybersecurity. But if you already know me, you do not know me for my academic work. You <laughs> probably know me because I call myself an occasional bug bounty hunter. Um, but I hack stuff. I'm a bug bounty hunter. I'm like a freelance hacker who gets paid to find vulnerabilities in real software. And I found tons of vulnerabilities, probably in software you might use every day. Um, I've been recognized. I've been to live hacking events. Um, and throughout all of that, I really came through the mentorship space. And I'm trying to now be a mentor and a guide through my YouTube work. And it's been really great to see how that's impacted people. So how did you like get into cybersecurity? Did you have like always want to do this as a kid? Like how'd that work out? Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, I, I very much say I got into cybersecurity by accident. Um, I, I was really into computers as a kid. I loved computers, but I always thought hacking and cybersecurity is just too hard. Like that's for people who are way smarter than I am. Like that's for the people who are like wizards on the computer. Um, I'm not that person. I was really into programming, though. I loved programming. So I did a degree in computer science, and I went out into the real world, my first proper job, and I hated it. I really didn't like being a developer. It was challenging. <laughs> it was interesting. But, oh, my God, did I feel like my brain was, like, melting away. Um, so I did my first job, hated it, and I thought, okay, I need to do something. Um, so I was going to apply for a PhD. I love research. And even now, as I finish my PhD, I still love research. I love security research. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll be a researcher. That sounds interesting. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead, applied for a PhD. Unfortunately, PhD applications tend to close in September. And I had this realization <laughs> I hated my job. 
in November. So everything was closed apart from one PhD in cybersecurity. So I took it. Um, <laughs> and that's why I kind of ended up here. It was very much like I was very into machine learning. Um, before it was the only PhD that I really felt that passionate about. I did it and I was really fortunate that in the second year of my PhD, I was invited to be a mentee at HackerOne live event. And that's really how I got started in bug bounties. Mm -hmm. And that was like the first time I'd ever done any hacking and I found my first bug. And that was just such an incredible feeling that I don't think I'll ever forget. Do you remember what that bug was? Was it like cross-site scripting, injection? Um, it was an IDOR, like insecure direct object oh, reference, nice. which is basically this type of vulnerability where um, you can access an object even though you shouldn't have permission to. Mm -hmm. You can change something even though you shouldn't have permission to. And then literally like 10 minutes later, I found a business logic error. So <laughs> I found my first and second bug the first ever time I hacked. Were you using like Burp Suite back then or did you just like plug yeah. in the... No, was... okay. It was my first time using Burp Suite. I, <laughs> I literally, I think I had the tutorial on like how to use Burp, maybe an hour before i found my first bug um mm -hmm. it was like very much a kind of whirlwind and it was my first time ever seeing a request like i'd been a web developer i've been doing websites and making websites for so long and i knew what a request and response yeah. was but it was my first time physically seeing one and it was it's like a... oh my god that's what that looks like that's always fun like um i know i've hosted like cts for like the developer crowd and like their first instance of seeing Burp Suite, like, oh, this program exists. I can just intercept this. And then developers I use also all the time now as well. <laughs> have like, like just for programming. Yeah, like other weird issues of um, like as hackers, we know what a word list is. We know how to pick a good word list, but we had like one of the endpoints, it was um like slash dogs. It exists in almost any word list, and developers had trouble finding that just because they didn't know like exactly what brute forcing is they're extremely talented people but they're just not exposed to this side so i think it's really yeah, cool whenever sure. like developers get that exposure and like oh yeah i see why this is a problem now <laughs> yeah especially like for me i think it was like the difference between a get request and a post request mm -hmm. like something hackers never think about because they are kind of fundamentally kind of very similar they do the same thing as far as where when we're hacking yeah we're concerned but as a developer it's such a big part of oh that's a get parameter and that's going to be in the get global and that's going to be in the post global yeah so like the idea that they were so similar was so mind-blowing like weirdly mind-blowing <laughs> oh wait the parameters go from the top to the bottom and there's a content type field that's it <laughs> yeah right so um let's see so you were a lecturer you said um what do you actually yeah. teach is it cybersecurity? is there a specific field you like to teach or oh i'm really fortunate because i get to teach my favorite subjects mm -hmm. um so i teach at mmu so that's manchester metropolitan university and i teach on our bachelor's of Cybersecurity. so some of the courses that i teach i teach like introduction to security which is really fun because i get to talk to a lot of people who are really new to security mm -hmm. and help them figure out what their passion is and that's got to be like my favorite part of my job is like helping students to kind of understand what they want to do with their careers mm -hmm. and then the um i teach penetration testing i teach offensive security ethical hacking all that jazz web security api security um but my favorite is always going to be like the, the kind of teaching people about the introduction to security and seeing what they're passionate about. Do you have many like students that follow the same path as you? Or like, well, I know I don't want to do this. Cybersecurity is open. I'm let's let's see what it is. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people do. I actually had a student tell me that the only reason they transferred their degree from computer science to cybersecurity was because of my lectures. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a lot of responsibility. But I'm really happy you chose that. And I'm really happy that like my work has sparked an interest and had such an impact on you personally to feel like you changed your whole degree. But, oh, my God, the stress. Yes. Yeah. Um... <laughs> the pressure. Like, what is a big difference between computer science and cybersecurity as far as, like, a curriculum goes? I mean, for ours, the cybersecurity degree just has more opportunities to learn other stuff about security. Mm-hmm. So, for example, our cybersecurity students will do a bit of forensics. They'll do a bit of blue team stuff. Um, the computer science students get to choose to do, like, security modules, but they're a bit more limited in what they can choose. They'll get, like, ethical hacking it just ends up being what people want to do and what they want to pursue. And there's obviously like the degree title. If you are looking um, for cybersecurity degrees though, as a student, mm-hmm. um, I really recommend checking out things like accreditation and graduate outcomes, because fundamentally it doesn't matter what the degree title says, you want to get a job afterwards. So make sure that they are having that networking across like locally and um, kind of countrywide. I really recommend it. Yeah, um, you hit on a really good point. Like whenever I talk to college students, um, I know this kind of is a locational thing issue. Well, like, because in the U.S., like I know colleges, they have like the um, National Cyber League. We have CCDC, the Collegiate College Defense Competition. We have a lot of those. And I always say like the college curriculum is great, but always, always, always go to conferences and pick a few like college clubs to get hands on with do you know like do you have something similar to that with competitions over by you i think you're in the uk i am yeah we don't have quite as many but we do have some like i personally when i was at university this is a little bit of a while ago when i had my undergraduate degree i did tons of hackathons mm-hmm. and i met so many different people and organizations at hackathons that i just think there's such an amazing opportunity i think everyone should have the opportunity to go stay up all night be very sleep deprived and um, fail at JavaScript for seven hours while you you consistently break it. Um, you definitely don't have as many. I'm really glad that we're getting some more like live hacking events and there's yeah. more of like a hacking community springing up because it tended to be more like conferences and which is not really, it's like the fun hacking versus the very serious, very professional hacking. Yeah. So, for like beginners, is there like a certain type of vulnerability you feel they should look at first? Like you mentioned your first one was IDOR. Is that the one you still recommend people look for? Cross-site scripting? What do you generally recommend? Oh, this is a really good question. So starting to consider, first of all, is how easy is it to automate a finding? Mm-hmm. Because findings that are easily automated tend to get picked up by pros who have like quite large scanning infrastructure. So it's always great to do something that's not easily scanned for. Um, I really like business logic and IDORs, particularly with APIs and mobile devices, because I think you end up sitting in enough niches that it's very hard to automate them. And it's fairly straightforward to find bugs on, but it's not putting you in a position where you're like actively competing for like some low severity issues. It can happen a lot like subdomain takeovers. I think are a great one that people should, shouldn't start as beginners because you can scale up infrastructure to detect those. And if you don't have the money to put into infrastructure, 
then you can't necessarily compete on the same scale versus something like idols where it's a lot more did that work like physically with my eyebrows yeah. i see that function no that um that yeah. was a great answer like <laughs> you as someone like i've never submitted a bug bounty report and i would have went the complete other way i would have recommended those things not thinking about oh it's not just about bug bounty you're also in uh, pseudo competition so you got to do yeah. what the other people didn't automate so that was yeah it's a <laughs> really, it's me, a that's really interesting problem yeah I, it's interesting as well because i think especially after i worked at a bug bounty platform i realized just on such a scale that people especially pros are really doing this it's the main part of their income and for them it's worth it to invest like thousands of dollars into building up infrastructure that can find lots of good automated bugs but like for me somebody who doesn't want to spend thousands of dollars on setting up infrastructure it just would the, the mass would never work out as being worth it for me um so yeah so this next question when looking at a list of programs it can seem quite overwhelming with so many options how do you recommend selecting one to tackle and how do you approach it initially? So you kind of talked about, you look for the niches like mobile. So how would you tackle something like that first thing? What's the first thing you'd look for once you find um, something you don't think is automated? So I really like to hack products that I'm familiar with mm -hmm. because I feel like it gives me an advantage to know the kind of functionality that's going to be expected. So my first bugs were in Uber. I've used Uber a lot. I'm sure quite a lot yeah. of people have used Uber a lot. That I kind of understood the kind of flow of data, right? I'm thinking, okay, I'm on Uber. Step one is to open the app, choose where I want to go. Then I wait and it pings a driver and the driver accepts. I knew what that flow looked like. Yeah. And that gave me a really interesting insight about how I could break that flow in certain ways. Like, if you know that oh yeah uber will charge you if you're sick in somebody's car right mm -hmm. so then you can think okay what does that look like in terms of the actual requests that are sent like how does it know and i think when you start asking questions like that and you start to really understand an application quite deeply you can more easily figure out how it can break and what that means is that if you don't know something you have to spend a lot of time kind of understanding it so i really like to hack stuff that i know first of all Mm -hmm. The second thing I like to do is focus on what I think are my strengths. So I am very good at API hacking. As a former developer, I know code really well. I understand how stuff is built. So for me, focusing on those areas where I know that I'm skilled means that I can like more reliably find bugs. But I'll be honest, it's still hard for me. It's yeah. always going to be quite challenging because it is overwhelming. There's tons of companies and you think public program or private program. You know, what about if I get an invite? What about if this, this and this? I basically pick randomly. Like I'd love to say there's some kind of algorithm I'm going through being like, yes, that is the most likely place. I will find a bug that I could teach people. But for me, it's just like mm, that one. And like the methodology you use to go after it, after you find out the business flow, do you have, is it like a typical boot to root machine where you do Nmap, you open Burp? Do you have like a special methodology you would go for starting that attack? I would class myself as, <laughs> um, you know, kind of uh, chaotic good. Yeah. Um, my approach is very chaotic. 
it's like okay i'll go in there i'll click a bunch of buttons try and make sure i understand what's happening i'll open burp i'll like move stuff into repeater and start to label each request and i'll go back to clicking again randomly and i'll try and find like unique functionality it's so like there is no there is no process there there is no methodology it's just chaos yeah but it's worked out well for me so i guess i can't really complain too much. yeah i always laugh at like <laughs> this field in general like in the beginning of this you mentioned like you didn't think you'd be a hacker because those people are wizards and like i felt the same way like <laughs> i don't like i wasn't like i'm just going to be this uber elite hacker it's one of those things like I feel like the best hackers are the ones that know how to fail gracefully and don't let like the, those feelings get in the way. Like whenever I approach a new problem, it's, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to click a few things and see what this application does. Ooh, now I'm on a trail and just keep trying to follow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is, I think that is the key of like every successful hacker I know has mm -hmm. no idea what they're doing. Very yeah. few people I think know what they're doing just in general, but the people who admit it, I'm like, I have no idea. Go in with such an open mind. They're not too tied down to any one vulnerability or any one approach. They're very much keeping that open mind of being like, oh, okay, I'll just keep trying. I'll just keep on thinking in different ways. I think something that is really interesting is that creativity approach as well in hacking that yeah. You know, sometimes it's better to just let let the the kind of creative juices flow, and uh, then you just find things, even if you didn't necessarily mean to. So you mentioned when you like first start out, you think you should go with manual and finding what hasn't been automated. Um, do you think there's ever an approach where people should start learning that automation, and when do you think that kind of is, or do you think everyone oh, should always be mixing them? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think there's really a clear answer for that. Mm -hmm. I think my my toolbox has changed so much. I published a video like a month ago that was like my API hacking toolbox. And I still think that's changed in the past month. Yeah. Because I think you, you it's like open-mindedness, right? You have to be open to the idea of changing something when it doesn't work for you. And I think that's fundamentally my advice on tools. Like, is that working for you? If it's not working for you, don't keep it. If you're, mm -hmm. say, for example, using, I don't know, MMAP, and you're not seeing a lot of ports be open apart from port 80, maybe MMAP isn't necessarily the right approach for bug bounty. Maybe you need to be open-minded and consider another kind of yeah. uh, scanner or tool. I think very much for me, the kind of tools that I really like are things that make the boring bits like and get rid of them for me. So mm -hmm. when I do API testing, when you have RESTful APIs, you have a lot of resource names. So anything that I can do to to get like a good word list for resource names or a tool that can automatically crawl through API endpoints is stuff that I really like to add to my toolbox because that's really boring. Yeah. <laughs> but things like actually the bug finding, I do really man manually because it's fun. I enjoy it. It gives me like such a rush to be like, oh my God, I found something. It's amazing. What tool do you generally use to like crawl those API endpoints. I've recently found like Pharaoh Buster and that's been like amazing at doing that. Do you have a different one or? Kite Runner. Like I, I cannot stress how good Kite Runner is. I have got so many findings from Kite Runner. It's, it's, it's a, a free to use tool. I've got a video on it actually, if you want to know how to use it. But basically it's based off of um, like results from APIs. So it's not necessarily like 
uh, kind of word list where it's like one API in like the thousand we crawled had this weird API endpoint. We'll include it in the word list. It's much more targeted and like fingerprinting applications. And the other like cool tip I have but especially resource names, is just find a list of nouns, like English nouns. Yeah. You find so many things, but you find the noun and getting the plural of it as a word list. It's mm-hmm. so useful. I haven't even heard of Kite Runner. I have to check that out after this and watch a video. I'm excited to look at that. It's good. It's, it's really good. Not every day I find a new tool. So thanks. Um, and there's one other thing you hit on that I just want to put more emphasis on. Um, you said, like, you try something and when it's not working, you move on. And, like... I find that great advice because that's kind of my approach when I switch between things. Like I know when I'm looking too hard into manual things or like doing this one exploit, I get burned out after a while and like, you know what? I'm going to switch things up, put a developer hat on. I'm going to try to automate some other things. And then I get like, Oh man, I shouldn't be coding things. Uh, I'm going to go back to the other thing. You kind of just bounce back and forth. And I think that's kind of how I fight a lot of issues. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, for me as well, it helps. One thing that I really like to hack is large scope programs. Mm -hmm. Not because I think I find more on large scopes, but because you can pivot internally in a scope. Like Yahoo's a great example, because Yahoo has Yahoo Sports. It has Yahoo News. And both those have the same like single sign on Yahoo uh, email as well. Each of those have their own like sign on for everything. And then it's like, oh my God, I can just pivot with all the knowledge I've already gained on this t- about this target is still applicable, but I can just take a break off hacking one thing. And I get inspired to go hack it, like solve my other problems, which feels really good for me. Yeah. Um, how about like motivation? Like how do you stay motivated when you get in a rut and can't seem to find anything? I think, so one is that not finding it things is normal. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people end up feeling bad. They're like, oh my God, I haven't found anything. I must be awful. You're not awful. Hacking is hard. And like for every like rush you get for all of the excitement, it can also really wear you down. And I think it's important to one, respect the fact that we all feel burnt out. And one of the best ways to deal with burnout is just to take a break. There is mm-hmm. nothing wrong with taking a break. There is, you do not need to grind all the time. I take breaks. The top hackers take breaks. Everybody takes breaks. There's nothing wrong with it. And I think as well with maintaining motivation, you can't think of just the financial reward, especially with bug bounties. Because when you put in a bug and say it doesn't get rewarded, there are many reasons why a bug won't get rewarded, but it can feel like a, you're a failure. And you're not a failure. It's just the company's position is just the, that this may not be rewardable for whatever internal reason. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to frame it as, well, what, how I frame it, I should say, is framing it as me getting better. Every single time I hack, I'm not trying to find a bug so I get paid and so I can buy something with money. I'm thinking I want to hack because I like it. It's enjoyable. I get better at it. I want to try new techniques and new tools. And I want to apply what I've learned to this different skill. For me, it's a lot about the challenge and the developing my mastery and skills Mm -hmm. and being able to demonstrate that with like an actual company. Um, No hate on CTF challenges. I love CTF challenges Mm -hmm. for learning. But the rush you get when you hack a real company, you're like, I'm I'm so smart. I'm smarter than literally everyone who works here. Um, (laughs) with your ego, like feels really, really good. 
Yeah. Um, and in terms of like how long it can take to find a vulnerability, you know, you you might be like me. I found my first vulnerability within like two hours of first learning burp. I got really lucky. And for some people, it takes two months. It takes a lot longer. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with it taking longer. Like hacking is not about sprinting to the finish line. At the end of the day, it's a marathon. You learn all these different skills. You put them together. You get lucky. As you develop your skills, luck becomes less of a factor. But you still have to get really lucky when you start out. So don't feel too bad if it's taking you time to learn because it, it will. It's a hard skill. It's difficult. Like it, It's not something that you can learn in a day and then be amazing yeah. at. It's like how I always explain it. It's like all about hills. Like there's learning curves. It's not like you're just on this thing where you're always getting better. It's you're just hitting a wall and then like you succumb that wall. And you're like, oh, why did I run at that wall for so long? This now suddenly makes sense. It's like when you learned math as a kid, like addition, multiplication, division, all that stuff used to be heard. But like once you learned it and you like understood it, it's like, oh, wow, now I kind of understand that. I think that's yeah. a lot of the issue people have is when they're hitting that wall learning this, it seems like they're getting nowhere, but um, there is progress. And, I, and it's important to mention that even people that you look up to, that I look up to, if you look up to me, for example, we all have walls. Like there's yeah. stuff that I struggle to learn. There's stuff that I really had to try very hard to learn, stuff that took me so long that I'm like, you know, and now I look back and be like, well, I now know it, but it it does it at the time it felt like such an in, impossible object. Yeah, and I also really like how you kind of um, converted hacking companies into being a game, and like each company, the way you explained it to me, as someone with a gaming background, it's like you converted each company into a boss, and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna lose to this boss 50 times but that one time i beat him i know i got him right that's like <laughs> yeah maybe that comes from like i used to raid in world of warcraft uh -huh. quite a lot. i used to love raiding maybe it comes from that because you spend weeks working on a single boss and you finally get it and it is the best feeling yeah <laughs> so uh let's see for people coming into cybersecurity, a lot of discussion oh this is a minefield question um what is happening versus degrees versus certifications? And what is your take on it? Um, do you feel one provides more benefit or knowledge than the other? Ooh, okay. <laughs> so one, the, the caveat here is that I have a degree. Yeah. And I also have a PhD. And I also work in academia. So you should, when you listen to me say this, take that in mind. I don't think that one is better than the other, but I think they serve two different purposes. I think something that's really hard for a lot of people is the inaccessibility of cybersecurity, mm -hmm. either because you need to get a cert or a degree. Degrees in some countries are really, really expensive. Like you might spend the rest of your life paying off a loan for a degree in cybersecurity. And on the other hand, certifications, it's not like you can get if you do live in a country that has some kind of financial aid or you are able to get scholarships, there's not a scholarship for quite a lot of certifications. So that may be completely inaccessible. And that might mean you take on things like predatory loans just to get your foot in the door. I don't think people should be spending a ton of money to get into cybersecurity. If they have the skills and they can de develop those skills, 
there's no reason why someone needs a degree or certifications. I will say I think both are great for kind of having like the stamp of approval that gets you yeah. through HR. But I'd really say to people who are hiring in cybersecurity, consider things like, you know, people who perform on Hack the Box, people who have done kind of community contributions as another way of getting into cybersecurity. In terms of like degree versus certifications, I would say, um, one, it depends on the situation in your country. Don't go into debt to like in, in serious debt. The security student loans in the UK work very differently to other countries. Yeah. But make sure you're making a good financial decision. Um, speak to friends, speak to family members, really make sure that you've considered every, every kind of approach here. And the second thing is speak to employers. You'd be surprised what your local networking group can do for you more than maybe even a degree could. A lot of what a certification or a degree offers is like the opportunity to meet employers. So I don't think one provides more knowledge or benefit than the other. And I don't think you need any. I would love to see people see more of the human being that has the certifications or the degree than just having like a rubber stamp of has degree. Yes. Or yeah. has OSCP done. No, I can completely agree with that. And I've always wished I had a degree, but I don't. I don't even have an associate's, so I have no college experience at all. Um, one of the things I do wish I did go back and get because I didn't get the degree be um, because I didn't want to do a lot of the basic courses, which now, like, I'm a quote-unquote expert. And I'm looking back, I'm like, man, if I had just taken that course, I would have learned the fundamentals instead of just jumping in and just doing like the brute force to success of just failing a hundred times. Yeah. I also like loved your response about you don't need them. You should like look into if they're beneficial for your location and talk to employers because how I always explain it is whenever I interview someone, I'm not looking at exactly where they are right now. I'm looking at where they are about? next year. Yeah, exactly. So you I don't care. Like, in any role. Yeah, like, I don't care, like, you're a super high level certification or degree. I more care about, I like, you can prove on paper that you're continually improving yourself. So if I hire you today and look at you next year, I know I made a good investment. Like, that's kind of how yeah. I view them. And like, I, I haven't got a certification since I started my YouTube channel. That was one of my ways around it is I'm going to improve my social networking skills. So I don't need to do this, right? <laughs> yeah. I think one thing the university enabled me to do is have a lot of time. Yeah. Um, I do think like when you're doing a degree, you don't have the same pressures that a full-time job has. So I think I got a lot out of that in being able to develop myself and think like really deeply about what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, what I was interested in that. I wouldn't have necessarily had if I was on a full-time job but yeah you don't I think either way I think employers put way too much stress on them and I don't know whether or not these are like the actual hiring managers in cybersecurity or if it ends up being like HR being like a barrier of yeah like what they expect but I really wish people wouldn't even start these kind of like have these kind of conversations because you shouldn't be looking at a degree as like a replacement for chatting with somebody um and finding out about what their interests are and what they're good at yeah and you kind of hit on it before um like don't approach the degree because it's money like yeah try to avoid the monetary reward system and instead 
look at the degree as a really good way to social network with a bunch of peers and find a good company, find a network of friends also interested in cybersecurity and just improve yourself with them. Yeah, and if that ends up being Twitter mm -hmm. and you don't go to university, so be it. Like, yeah. It ends up being Twitter. So looking back at it, uh, at your whole journey, um, what things would you repeat and what would you change, if any? Ooh, that's such a good question. <laughs> I don't think I change anything. You know, I I feel like I I didn't I, like I, I know a lot of people think like oh I go, I would get in cybersecurity earlier. I don't think I would because when I got in, I was at the precise position where I kind of understood the technical aspects being a former developer. So I ended up um, kind of approaching it as a um, as someone who had been technical and who kind of understood the the like fundamentals of how a website might work. And then from the outside, we're like, oh, here's how I would program it. So I don't think I'd get in sooner because I think I'd lose that experience. And I guess the other thing is like, would I change what I'm interested in? I don't think I would. I think I'm really happy with my journey so far. And I'm looking forward to what kind of lies beyond in the future. And I think it can be almost quite to your detriment to be wishing like about what you could yeah. do better. And kind of you end up not thinking about the future because you're too busy focused on the past and how you would repeat it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think I would change anything. I love that answer because we kind of started this whole thing off with um, you became a developer and realized you didn't like it, but you wouldn't change it. Just because you didn't like it doesn't mean it wasn't beneficial. You don't like yeah, exactly. regret it. It just you tried something. It wasn't for you. You moved on and you used that experience from being a developer and applied it to something else that you did enjoy, which I think is amazing. Yeah, and I think it says a lot about like career switching as well, that cybersecurity is absolutely something you can look at if you are considering switching career because there's a place for you in security no matter what your background is. Yeah, I, I know like um, a lot of people that come from like even marketing backgrounds or something like that, they make really good social engineers because they know how to get people to buy a product. They probably know how to get people to click a link, right? So, yeah. Um, how about like good books or blogs? What do you generally like recommend reading? So I recommend Twitter. Now, mm -hmm. is Twitter a hellscape full of drama? Yes. <laughs> do we accept this because it's a great feed? Like I genuinely think that Twitter is probably one of my most useful resources. Because um, I find so many, like so much information from people that I don't follow, who I would potentially never follow, who I don't even know about. Yeah. And um, in addition, you also get the networking aspect. The book I'm reading at the moment, or the book I just finished reading, I should say, is um, Practical IoT Hacking, which has been a really useful introduction to hardware, if you're like me, mm -hmm. and scared of electronics. Um, blogs, I'm not really sure. I mean, I like I like the kind of roundup newsletters quite a lot because they just end up giving me, telling me what to do. Like, here's some stuff you should read, thanks. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to fight, figure that out for myself, but yeah, Twitter and um, like random newsletters. I like um, uh, Security B has a newsletter. Uh, his is really good. I like Integrity's newsletter. That's really good for like bug bounty specific stuff. Um, and uh, oh, what else? I can't think of more on the top of my head. Those are my two favorites. How do you go about like building your Twitter feed initially? 
Oh, good question. Um, so my recommendation is to follow people who make content because they are usually less likely to get involved in like slap fights on Twitter. So I think <laughs> what, what you kind of have to avoid with Twitter is like get into a position where your feed is just like not dream scrolling, but like procrastination kind of it ends up being kind of like Reddit where people just argue mm-hmm. with each other. And I think you have to kind of have to avoid that a little bit. Um, and I think it's just about like following creators that you like, seeing who they follow, following them. And then um, Twitter will start to recommend profiles to you and then just occasionally checking them out, seeing if they've got anything interesting. If they don't, then just move on. Um, and then once you start liking tweets, Twitter will be like, oh, because you liked this tweet, you might like this tweet. Um, and those are actually, I find, fairly good. Um, Twitter does send me a lot of Formula One stuff because my partner's really into F1. Uh, <laughs> so maybe it's also working against me because I'm, I'm not a huge fan of F1. I think I know who you're talking about. I just saw something related to F1 yesterday, like a stream was starting and they were like, you started a stream during an F1 race? How dare you? <laughs> uh, so the next question we have is, for someone with no prior InfoSec experience, what do you feel is the first few key things to start learning? So you have to know the fundamentals of how computers work. Mm-hmm. The explanation I always give to my students is, I can't just give you a lock pick, a tension wrench, and a lock for you to be able to to uh, pick the lock you have to know about how things like you know all the pins work and what it means when you turn it and which way you have to turn it (laughs) so understanding the fundamentals of how a lock works is really helpful can you pick a lock without knowing what you're doing yeah of course you can hack without knowing what you're doing i'm a living proof of that uh but uh for like trying to understand something quite deeply it really helps to just go back and just make sure you understand like how the internet works, how um, like requests and responses work and how cookies work, like the kind of fundamental building blocks that we kind of take for granted, um, both as developers and as hackers. I will say, though, there is a kind of gift to not knowing that like there's there's kind of like a gift in ignorance almost mm-hmm. that you can look at things from a really different way when you're not too bogged down in the details so i think really the first thing i recommend someone who's who is interested in like bug bounties for example and really wants to get into it but doesn't know where to start to just start like i think the hardest part of hacking is actually getting started with hacking and you will learn so much in your first like hour of hacking that you'll learn over 15 hours of watching videos and reading blog posts that doing that kind of practical aspect is really really helpful and that's why like even ctfs kind of offer it a little bit but not that much where in a ctf you've kind of gotten like an easy target you know something's there having the approach of i don't know what's there i don't know if there's anything there i don't understand how this works that level of like not understanding can actually be really helpful to opening your mind up to every kind of possibility because you've got to just hope there's a bug there yeah you definitely hit on something like i completely agree with i think like if i always imagine if i'm starting over in today's age i may have a lot of trouble because back when i started there wasn't really any material out there so you kind of just had to start by doing but 
Now I feel a lot of people spend almost more time looking for the best way to learn something because we have so many resources to learn it. And in consequence, they're spending more time researching how to like how to learn instead of just learning. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think throw yourself in the deep end. Like the way you learn a language really quickly is not by reading like a ton of books on here's how to learn French for beginners. The way you learn is you put yourself in situations where you're forced to use that language. Yeah. Hacking's just got to be something you force yourself to do and try. And then you'll find that you improve a lot quicker. So how do you uh, recommend planning your time when looking at bug bounty to be successful? Ooh, so I don't really plan my time. I plan my, like my interest around my interest. If mm -hmm. I'm feeling it, I'll hack. And if I'm not feeling it, I won't hack. And it sounds like that's really simple, but that's kind of how I approach it. Hacking is a hobby for me. I'm potentially really fortunate that it doesn't form the main part of my income. I don't have to hack in order to make money. Mm -hmm. For me, it's very much like, ooh, that's an interesting invite. Yeah, maybe I will go hack that company this uh, <laughs> uh, this week. That does sound interesting. I'd love to have a go at that. So quite a lot of it is like me being interested. I think with planning your time, mm -hmm. I tend to not really like stick to a strict plan. Um, you know, best laid schemes of mice and men go often laid astray, right? Like you can plan all you want and it will still go like nuts when it actually occurs and you'll be like, I didn't plan for any of this. Yeah, you're the chaotic good, I believe you said at the start of this. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm still cha I'm chaotic good in everything I do. <laughs> Let's see, I think we've pretty much hit on this question. Um, what are your thoughts of automation and is it possible to be successful in bug bounties without any automation? absolutely it's possible to be successful i think eventually when you're looking at it being like your main job you really do have to consider automation as an investment mm -hmm. um but i think for most people who are just doing it because it's a hobby it's something they're interested in maybe they're students looking to get some like practical experience for their cv i think that sticking with non-automated approaches is fine i think you do have like a scaling up problem when it's your main income source though mm -hmm. so I think you don't have to do it to be successful, but I guess it depends on what your definition of success is. Yeah, I always look at it like, um, even if I'm not earning money from it, I'm having fun. And yeah, to me, fun costs money, right? Because if I wasn't at home hacking away, I would probably be at a pub spending money or something. So even though I didn't make money that day, like I saved the money by staying in and having fun. Like it's all about um, trying to stay mentally healthy and everything and just stimulated and hacking. I mean, yeah. will always keep me stimulated. So I'm thankful that it's worked for me. I can't say it works for everyone, but yeah, um, <laughs> no, I completely it, agree. I think it's a fun hobby at the end of the day. And I think it can be a, a career certainly. And there's people who make it a career especially bug bounties. I'm not talking about like pen testing or something like that. because I think that's a completely different situation. But with bug bounties, if you're not looking at it through your main source of income, you can look at it as like a bit of fun that gets you a little bit of side income. And certainly, you know, when I got my first bug, I spent all my money on yarn because I knit and crochet. Uh, <laughs> so like, it's just that extra little bit of income that lets me spend on more hobbies. Did you make that thing that's behind you? I think like behind. Oh yeah, that's left. that's like half in progress. I haven't attached all the squares yet. I've got oh, like nice. five squares to do, and I've done <laughs> thirty, so I've got a while for that one. 
Yeah. So um, how do you stay up to date with all the evolving technology? I'm assuming Twitter is a big player into that. And you also said like the integrity newsletter. Is there anything else kind of outside of that or? Yeah. I mean, I am always, I haven't really lost my developerness. Mm -hmm. developerness <laughs> i always still like when i don't understand something especially in exploit my first thing i try and do is program a vulnerable piece of software that i can hack on because that just really helps me um like better understand it and totally with like new technology i just learn it right i don't yeah. put in a it's like i'm not a developer i don't make things anymore <laughs> i'm a hacker now it's like i'm still a developer i'm still a hacker like I'm a nerd, right? I, <laughs> if I wanted to learn something like, oh, how do we look at like um, the change of JavaScript? Because JavaScript has changed a lot with things like React. Well, I would sit down and I'd make a project in React. Or like if I wanted to learn you know, more about modern web applications, like in Django, I might make a map web application in Django so I really do just, I'm still a developer at heart. I always try and do it. And I love the Dev2 newsletter, um, which has, it's like this community of developers. And I really like those articles for just keeping up to date with what developers are doing. So this next question is, do you ever think bug bounty could be a primary source of income for people or should it be like more of on the side? That depends so much on what country you live in, how consistent you are, etc i think it totally can be a primary source of income and it already is right i know people are full-time bug bounty hunters however i think it's really helpful to not rely on what is essentially an unstable source of income if you don't find a bug you're not getting paid your bills still have to get paid that puts an awful lot of stress on you every single time you hack that you're not thinking about the hacking you're thinking oh god how am i going to pay for the electricity this month <laughs> or how am I going to pay rent or mortgage? Or how am I going to pay, you know, kids' school fees? I think it's a, it's a big decision you have to make. And I think you have to do quite a lot of thinking around your lifestyle. And, you know, if you have a partner or you have a family that you have to support their lifestyles, whether or not, you know, how much you put away, there's a lot of maths that has to go in there. And I don't want to, like, diminish the actual, like, risk calculation that 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 is i don't want to do bug bounties full-time i wouldn't do bug bounties full-time one i love my job i love being able to research you know, like new web security vulnerabilities and i love being able to teach like that for me is is great um and one other thing that i like about it and why i would never do bug bounty full-time is that i know how much i get paid every month like i have a contract and it mm -hmm. says i get paid whatever and with that money, I know that all of the costs for my life are going to be paid. I know that electricity will be paid. The water will be paid. I'll be able to buy food. If I didn't have that kind of baseline level, it would give me a lot of stress. I also live in the UK. It's expensive to live in the UK. Like our energy prices went up to be double this year. So in places like India, where the dollar goes much further than in the UK, um, I think, yeah, it totally is possible. And the stress levels there are a lot lower in comparison. My number one advice would be, you know, have those meetings like with financial planners, speak to people about pensions and being self-employed, because it will do a lot to teach you about all of the calculations have to go into your risk factor. Because again, my threat model is not your threat model, as mm -hmm. we love to say. So um, your like risk of what... Um, 
um, your risk of how much you need to get paid is going to be look very different to mine, which means that I need to have more money, which means that it for me, I'd have to find like um, at least a few medium bugs every single month, which would put a lot of pressure on my hacking. And I much prefer to just do it when I'm interested in it. So do you think it would be possible to sustain yourself off bug bounty being purely manual driven? Or do you think at that point, if you're considering making a living off of it, if it has to be automated? So I think it can be completely manual because I've seen hackers do it. I know people <laughs> who are who are manual hackers who do make all of their income through bug bounty hunting. So I know it's possible. I think for quite a lot of people, you need to be able to um, to at least try and automate some of it simply because you get a lot of private invites and you need to figure out very quickly which ones are worth doing and which ones aren't. But I guess there'd be a question more for someone who does it full time because they'd have a better idea of what the kind of stats are like there. Yeah. So how about taking notes? Is there like a specific software you like using? I've been waiting for this question. because <laughs> I love taking notes. I love studying. That's why I have two degrees. <laughs> um, so I'm sure as anyone who's watched my videos will know, I'm very into note taking. It is a having note taking as a passion is weird, but I'm going to own it. Um, I'm I, I really enjoy understanding note taking and how I can be better at note taking. Um, so for me, what I really like is I really like Obsidian. So Obsidian generates a um, a graph, but it works kind of like your brain. You can connect different articles together. Yeah, you have like a full mind map, and you can link things. And like I've been, um, I've been super into that. I love Liquid Text. So Liquid Text is an iPad app that allows you to take snippets from different documents and put them together in the same like workspace. And that's really helpful for like collecting. For me, I use it a lot for like security research rather than like learning about like vulnerabilities like in bug bounty hunting where i'm trying to pull in you know stuff like the latest defcon presentations or like a paper that i downloaded a white paper or a discussion on twitter i like to pull those all together um i really like good notes for ipad which is great for um having like handwritten notes and being like paperless um i really like uh, sticky notes i have no joke, like way, way too many sticky notes <laughs> on my desk because I just like sticky notes so much and I have pens all over my desk. Um, so do you troll um, anyone and have like a fake password on a sticky note sitting on your monitor? Oh, like I, I have a I have a whiteboard like up above <laughs> here. You can't really see it. Yeah. But it, it, it always has like Hunter 2 written on it. It's like Half-Life Hunter 2. I love that. Just in case, just in case I ever take a photo of it, and I end up not not like blurring it, I think it would just be funny. Mm -hmm. Um. So about your YouTube, like, how did you get started into that? Oh, so when I went to my first Hackathon Live event, I was really fortunate that I got a one-on-one -on -one mentorship by um, a really lovely person called Sarah, and she was just so inspiring for me, and she worked like with me and she was incredible. So when I went to my second live event and I saw the other mentees, I realized, hang on, they're in the same space I was before I met Sarah. And she was this big influence on like how I now approach hacking. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, 
I should try and be Sarah. I should show them what she showed me. So I did that and I showed them kind of how I approach it. And I realized that for me, it was just telling people what all the tabs did in Burp. It was just like, that's so overwhelming if you've never seen Burp before. Mm -hmm. Like someone just going there and being like, okay, repeater lets you send another request um, while changing it. And intruder is for brute forcing. And here's some examples of brute forcing you can do like blind SQL injection, for example. So when I was like showing people this, I realized, hang on, they're struggling. I struggled with this. More people are going to find this quite difficult. And then I made a YouTube video. Uh, and my first video was like how what every tab in Burp does. And that did really well. And people really responded very well to that. And I realized while reading the comments and kind of my own research, that no one really tells you how to find a bug. People tell you how to find vulnerabilities. They tell you specific vulnerabilities, information about vulnerabilities, but they don't tell you how to actually go from like a vulnerability like SQL injection to a exploit that will actually work on a server that you don't own and that isn't a CTF exercise. And I started making videos on that and those did really well. And um, that's been what I've been doing since. I realized that, you know, quite a lot of my skills that I developed through like academia really work for being able to, to kind of break things down for a lot of people. And um, when I saw the impact I was making, I realized like I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't stop. Um, if you'd like to find more of me, um, my name is Inside a PhD, as in the academic qualification and Inside a Threat, not Inside a PhD or Inside PHP. Both of those are <laughs> Inside a PhD. Um, and or you can just Google me now. I'm very proud to say I can I can I can now be Googled. It was a big thing to me that you can Google Katie Paxton Fair and my Twitter account will come up. How did you get there? Was that just like luck like you did it long enough and magically the google gods decided to put you first or did you actually put a lot of effort into owning that oh i don't put a lot of effort into most things that i do <laughs> <laughs> no it happened always accidentally um i just realized one day as i was like oh, i'll do my usual um i'll do my usual google myself and i was like ah oh, my twitter account comes up um it was a big moment for me as well i was like i was way too excited about that happening um, and of course, if anyone has questions, you are very free to reach out to me on Twitter. Um, I just have my DMs turned off. But if you say, hey, Katie, I'd like to chat with you in DM, totally fine. It's just I get bots sometimes who send me rude comments. Yeah, totally get that. Um, that's all I have for me. Did, is there anything you wanted to answer or like did we cover pretty much everything you expected? Uh, I feel like we covered most things I expected. I will say, like, if you listen to this and maybe you're considering bug bounty hunting and you don't know where you want to start, I really recommend starting with a playlist on my channel called, um, now that's what I call Bug Bounty 2020, which is all about, like, the resources and it takes you through all the steps. Um, not because my content is amazing, you should only watch my content, but that I have a ton of recommendations for books, for podcasts, for newsletters, for blogs, for anything you can think of that fits with your learning style and the way you want to learn. Um, so if you do want to take a look at that, uh, I think that's probably one of the best sources. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so 
I think that wraps it up. I can't thank you enough. I've enjoyed this conversation. And like right after this, I'm definitely watching your video on Kite Runner because I'm really curious what that tool is. Oh, it's really cool. I think you'll really like it. So oh, thank you everyone else for watching. I really appreciate you um, taking time out of your day to listen to me yabber on. Yeah, well, have a good rest of the day. Take care and I uh, hope we talk again soon. Yes, I hope so too. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you very much for having me. Bye. Okay. And that is almost it. We had a few things to go off at the end, but I hope you enjoy that. Like every time I talk to Katie, it's just amazing. She's so, so smart and like load of new tools to learn, a great mindset, like her approach to the whole college experience. I did not expect because it's like inside a PhD, I thought she'd be 100% pro college, but like she has so many good like thought patterns about just everything. So um, we do did have a um, like raffle thing. So we have three winners for a month of VIP plus. They're on Discord. It is, I think, Faha Duck. F-A-H-A-D-K, then D5 and Quetta will be winning the one month of VIP plus. So I don't really have anything else. Um, hope you guys enjoyed that. And I'm going to see how I can put the countdown on. So take care, guys. And we'll be until next time that we see you again. And that's all for today's AMA. Join our Discord at discord.gg slash hack the box. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at hack the box and see you next episode.